Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at thestartupfactory.tech. Thanks, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of From the Factory Floor. This week, we're talking all about tech choices with what's seeming like a usual crowd at the moment of Eric and Alexa. Morning, hey guys. Nice to see you again. Yeah, hello. Be here, whichever medium people are going for, but I'll say we are going to have to rope in Ian and uh, Guy at some point to do these again, rather than just putting the onus on mute. But I don't think... Uh, little Guy's going. idea as well. <laughs> I'm not sure um, Ian and Guy are the best people to talk about tech choices, business choices maybe, but... Um, yeah, I don't think they'd know. I think you mentioned Java to Guy. I think you probably start thinking about coffee. But so, like I said, this week's all about tech choices. And uh, last week we covered off a lot about the cloud. So rather than uh, rehashing old ground, we'll try and stay clear of that. So I guess almost the start of the ten chaps. You know, when it comes to tech choices, what sort of things are available? You know, as a non-techie, I've absorbed a little bit. But what does it? What is a tech stack? So yeah, I guess um, tech choices is. A bit of a vague uh, title, isn't it? Like, oh, very. <laughs> talking about all sorts of stuff today. But um, yeah, there's a few, few big things that uh, that we're really thinking of. One is the language that you know we're going to choose to create our platform application, whatever it is that we're building. So that's probably the big, the big early choice that we need to make. And yeah, there's well. You can have more than one if you want to, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we we generally think why s- split your knowledge and try and you know, oh, this is the best thing for the back end. It's so much faster than this thing, or and, and then you got to use this this cool new library for the front end and this this wonderful language. Yeah, much better to pick one golden golden nugget and use it everywhere. I mean, there's plenty of languages that work work across the board, aren't there, Alexa? Yes, yeah, absolutely agree. I think um, I think back in the old days, I mean, um, first thing you would ask when you when you have a project to build something, yeah, what are we going to build it in? And and I think from my past, it usually has been only one choice because the the specialization has been prevalent, really. So we are a Java development house, but we do everything in Java. Then over the years, there has been uh, this. Um, development that you use the best tool for the job, which means you do, do many different languages for different bits, for one for front-end, one for back-end, one for mobile. But as you just said, I think, especially in the startup world, when we are looking to, you know, prove the market, product market fit, having one core language that you can use is, is definitely preferred option for us. Yeah. So just as a very quick interjection, uh, for any of the more business-focused listeners, out there what's what when we talk about front and back end what are we actually talking about there like what what is a front end of an application what's the back end so front end just being the the bit that your users see and the back end being nothing else <laughs> but the front end is the pretty bit the back end makes it work yeah the back end's the bit in the cloud which is the rude word we said we would <laughs> and the front end's the bit on your phone or on your computer or wherever that is the um one thing that we just mentioned there that uh you know, if you're a entrepreneur and you're starting up, you're you're not the tech guy, but you've got this idea and you want someone to build it. You might go out and find some software houses or some people that you want to build it for you. For you, as Alexa said, like a lot of the time, and it's always been true where I've previously worked. You don't really choose what language to build something, and you say, "Well, I've got a team of Java devs, therefore we're doing it in Java." And if it so happens that you go and talk to a dev house that uses 
you know, .NET, they're going to say, it's best to do it in .NET. <laughs> um, that's just the way it is, really. So you just, if you're not the tech guy, you've just got to know that these choices are being made for you and you've got to live with them. So, I mean, you mentioned it there, obviously, the, almost the prevalence of resource to actually build these things without actually just calling people resources, which I know is it's not almost, it almost seems rude to say, yeah, you're just a resource. But I am a man, it, not a number. Yeah, that's the one. I'm, I'm more than just a number. But is that the only consideration, really, that you make when you... So obviously, we do make decisions on uh, tech choices for sort of our startups. What so, consideration do you make outside of just, you know, there's lots of Java devs in Manchester or there's lots of Scala devs in London, for example? So you, it, the main choice you know for us is probably well most of the time to be honest the language isn't that important to what's being built a lot of the time you could build it in anything because the thing you're building isn't particularly specialized this way or that way you know it's it's just a website it's just an app that does some relatively simple stuff so you can achieve you can do that in anything at all and reasonably well as well so given that then you're only reason for choosing really is to make a sensible choice of you know who's available to do it once it's been done who's available to extend it support it build it and how expensive are those people and that kind of stuff so yeah i guess we go for something that's popular something that's widely used something that's easy to use that's another thing so i guess a lot of the time we're gonna we're gonna try and recruit you know a graduate from university or something somebody who's not you know got lots of years of experience and really specialised in anything, they're going to have to pick it up and learn it. And you, a lot of your team is going to be made up of relatively cheap people like that, potentially. So it needs to be something they can pick up and go with. Whereas if, because I had this weird internal love of complicated thing like Haskell, and I decided to do it in that, it'd be almost impossible to get some cheap developer resource to, to help you out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot a lot of languages that are quite popular and you can implement anything in them, as you said. Uh, the general purpose programming languages, isn't it, Eric? So that you can you could basically build anything. Uh, and the more general purpose language is, then the, these other considerations will come into play about complexity, the richness of the ecosystem, libraries, uh, resources, and talent available. Uh, maybe in some cases you will need to implement to, to build something that is very specific to some low-level feature of the, of the particular language where the special nature of the language would would be the the prevalent uh, in choosing it, be it Scala or Haskell or something like that. Uh, but when you think think about startups, it's about getting the idea back into reality, and for that, it's typically we're using general-purpose languages, and then all these other considerations become become more and more important. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I briefly covered there, like, you know, the general place where we start from, i.e. this JavaScript stack that works for everything and has lots of resource, etc. But when we have switched out of that, we haven't always used that. So, you know, in a couple of startups, we've been like, okay, well, we're doing some AI now. So let's, let's switch to Python just because there's a lot of good AI libraries in Python or you know that kind of scientific processing stuff there's a lot more available there so we might switch part of the stack to that just for for the ease of use of the other bits so just to uh, do another piece of jargon busting when you talk about a library i assume you're not talking about a building with lots of books in <laughs> no it's uh choosing your language is one thing and then you've got 
the other bits. That's how I just phrased it, isn't it? The other bits. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, even libraries isn't necessarily the right word to use. I guess that's kind of historic from the old kind of C days of static libraries and stuff like that. But um, some people call them packages or gems or every nuggets what else is there there's loads of stupid names depending on what language you're in they've named them differently but it basically is just um code written by other people to do particular jobs or roles you know it's more more often you'd probably think of most of this as open source but uh it's not specifically open source necessarily yeah I'm, um, on, I'm just gonna be on jargon busting for sure so i'm gonna ask you what open source is in a minute i know in a minute <laughs> But it covers tools and stuff like that as well, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's a bit complicated. Yeah. There's, there's too much to talk about. Let's focus. <laughs> I mean, I mean was, the other consideration, which I know is a massive thing at the moment with a lot of startups, is all about, obviously, when we talk about the front end and almost the bits that people interact with is obviously mobile these days. And, you know, there's we have iOS, we have Android. There's, you know, I don't know if Huawei's got their own thing now uh, with all the changes they've had. In terms of approaching mobile, what considerations do you have to make outside of just that? Or is there an option that spans everything when you're making an app? Yeah, I think after after enormous push to kind of a standardization of the development platforms to have a JVM machine and then JavaScript that runs anywhere really now, now mobile is probably through a bit of spanner into that with a bit of more uh, fragmentation in platforms. So, so with main players like Apple and Google having separate platforms in iOS and, and Android, which are using completely different languages, tax, tax. So if you want to build something across the board, it, it becomes much more challenging because you need much more skills and a different uh, approaches to, to solving problems, which is where, again, um, the community has come together to try to build something, uh, a library, if you want, or, or, or frameworks or components, however you call them, that, that kind of bridge that gap that allow you to do the um, single code base across the, across the platforms. So this is where cross-platform mobile development comes into place. And I think uh, coming back to our original thought of, um, you know, having a single language spanning everything, th- using cross-platform tools like, say, React Native, we now can do JavaScript even on the mobile side. And that sort of works, works in our favor. Yeah, so so for the front end there, we're talking about, you know, classic websites, but also apps on your phone, the two different types of phone generally, but yeah, very slight variances beyond that, different sizes, but yeah. No, no, so I mean, I think a lot of this, and obviously when we come down to things when it comes to, you know, getting the relevant people to actually build it is almost that keep it simple approach of making sure that if you can use one language across it is easier to recruit and we all know the issues with recruitment at the moment it's also very difficult and then anyway jumping forward to uh, the point I made before Eric you mentioned open source now you hear this word band you hear that sort of phrase banded about I know uh, Netflix uses open source tools I know we've used them in previous slides what exactly is open source and why is it why is it this thing that everyone seems to hold up as a brilliant thing to have so open source really just means publishing your work so other people can see it and then beyond that it's sharing the actual thing itself um but generally for free and with you know not much in the way of license constraints and stuff so it's actually just quite easy there's there's plenty of stuff out there that you can just pick up and use without worrying about it and it's it's basically massively important you you couldn't build things in the modern world without it because everything's so complicated 
you know, there, there are so many moving parts to even relatively simple applications that if you had to create all of it from scratch yourself, you know, forging your own steel and bending it into wires and all of that, then you'd, you'd never get anything done. So the point is you're focusing on on providing the service that you're trying to provide and using the available tools to get you there quickly. Yeah, just like the startup, you know, they have their own USB and, and, and try to solve particular problems. So when you build the stack for, for such startup, you want to focus on solving that particular problem. And as much as you can reuse without compromising on quality and um, flexibility, extensibility and things like that, the better for you. Uh, obviously, there, there are some additional considerations to, to take into account as well there when you're looking at open source. It's all very well, I guess picking things that are available and free, and that's great, especially in the startup world, but you have to be careful in picking the right things, things that are maintained and have a, some sort of community behind them. I mean, if someone just comes up with an open source project uh, and it's one person, and, and even if it's useful and, and uh, good uh, in the short term, if there is one person and they stop maintaining it a few years down the line, it will pr- become probably a, a legacy and, and a bigger challenge to maintain within your own project as well. And I guess that was one of the questions I was going to ask is, I mean, there's, there's two really of, you know, with all the open source software that's around, I remember in a previous life, um, Cake was all about open source software and big proponent of it. I remember at times when um, something that was open source was suddenly not open source and there was issues then with, like say, the maintenance of it. So before we, so, so is it always better, is it better to build some things yourself so, and have that sort of that thing you've got complete control over versus getting something off the shelf or an open source product and actually using that. What is there a balance like there? I think it's actually quite an easy decision, mostly. So there's there's different times. So there's when there's multiple packages available and you want to choose which one you want to use, that's one kind of decision. And that's, you know, if one of them has been created by one guy and hasn't been touched in a year, you're obviously not going to pick it. You're going to pick the one that's been created by Google or and has, you know, hundreds of developers and people using it because it's going to stay up to date relatively well. Now, anything you pick, you know, you're going to have to, you can, you can build a piece of software once and run it, right? And it will keep running, but the world moves on. So everyone buys new phones, new phones support different things. And if you don't keep up, it's going to stop working. So you're always going to have to respond. I wouldn't be scared of picking a piece of open source code and using it, worrying about it changing in the future, because the alternative is kind of worse. The alternative is you have to do it yourself. It's going to take longer and you're still going to have to change it in future to keep up with things. Now, I mean, I've done it a few times. Well, I've done it both ways, to be honest. I've built things myself when I shouldn't have, and I've used stuff. But it's certainly easier to pick something up and use something. And then if you realize it's not quite good enough down the line, you can change it down the line. It's not a problem. But you've already saved and got yourself, you know, a year, a year's worth of work for a lot lower input at the beginning. Yeah, is there a bit of a challenge there, I guess, when you... I think like like the literature, all stories have been told already in, in the history. In the, in the software, I mean, a lot of problems, maybe not all, have been already solved. So, so as, a, as an engineer, what you get to do is really pick those little parts that sort of solve part of the problem and just compose them into your own solution and make it do something else. Uh, would the, the, Eric, do you think that affects a bit of a you know, motivation and challenge for developers uh, and engineers like us who would like to solve those pro- complex problems? I mean, maybe even though they have been solved, maybe in a different way. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's it's one of them things, isn't it? There's kind of I nearly brought up this joke earlier in the you know, oh, there there are, there are too many libraries, too many too many pl- um, languages or different ways of doing things. What we need is a new one that unifies everything. So then you end up with one more. And the same is obviously true with you know in the open source world. You know, just because there's one way of doing something doesn't mean there's a better way. There's not a better way, and somebody may try and figure that out. And yeah, as as a particular engineer or something, I may be, I may decide actually, I think I could do a better job at this. And I've certainly looked at some, you know, the code of some of the libraries I'm using and go, actually, this is really, really shoddy. Um, we could certainly improve on it. But then it, it's it's about do I want to improve on it now or what do I want to get out of it? And from that perspective actually not just consuming open source but creating it is um kind of gives that motivation back so you may say actually to build our application we want to use you know as much open source as possible and my job then becomes a more boring put this jigsaw puzzle together type thing rather than write this cool low level code but you can then say you know to your developers or whatever you know you can release your own open source library on company time, maintain it for us. We'll be using it. And then they kind of get that low level thing, but also, you know, a lot more exposure and it turns into a marketing piece for you as well. And all of that. So I know, I know cake, you know, again, harking back to days, also they were big proponents of open source software. Had that thing. Uh, two members of the team, it was Simon and a chap called Yaka who were, you know, great to work with just in case they are listening. I don't want them saying, we'd say bad things about <laughs> I think they. I think it was a, some sort of Scala Kafka connector, and they used that in every project, and it became a really big thing that a lot of people started using. Yeah. And, really and the other, I mean, the other one is um, is our good friends over at Invitator have got the React Native Firebase library together. And they look after that. That's you know, pay for that's massive, isn't it? Used by Google and supported by them. So, you know, there's there's really good things to be done in terms of getting yourself out there and. And actually motivating your team by giving them that little bit of freedom to, to publish something that they've built for your company. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if you, you guys would agree, but I mean, my my view would be if you are building a product for a startup and if you're in that sort of, you know, proving the product market fit, try to reuse as much as as much as possible, really, to, to basically make sure you can move as fast as you can. But as soon as you have something out and proven your idea then then these sort of considerations should come into place and and maybe doing some of the things on your own maybe with a view for open sourcing it as well both from improving the tech overall and the product but also from the motivational and uh, and the marketing perspective as well as you said eric so i've got a question probably mostly for you alexa but um what do you think is the biggest problem with open source in general as like an ecosystem because i've got some challenges and just wonder what yours are well, I think... Um, oh, I've got him on the ropes here. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> far more probing than one mine. Huh? I mean, spe- speaking from experience and, and maybe some some of the, you know, uh, if, it, if we ever may, we all did make some decisions in terms of using the, the open source software where we maybe shouldn't have or, or um, have challenges with. I think that something we, we touched on before is about picking the right right library and in terms of, you know, understanding what it does. And a lot of the times we treat open source software's black boxes without really understanding what's happening inside. Although if they are open source, we could understand quite a lot about it. It's probably much a bit easier not to do it. And then we, we get bitten by challenges 
down the line when you're trying to change them, understanding that the implementation is doing something very specific that we haven't haven't accounted for. Yeah, what I've always struggled with is 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 actually finding things. You know, yeah, I was I was about to say next thing is Google really because yeah, Google doesn't point you in the right thing always. <laughs> no, but you know you don't know what to. It's one of them problems, isn't it? So there are so many ways of putting different things together to achieve something, but what's the right way of putting it together? What things do I even need to search for? What things do I need to consider? So the kind of open source way of doing things is kind of you know Lego blocks. It's start with these little bits and put them together. And actually all of the good, well, most of the really good open source, um, you know, projects and libraries out there are really focused on doing very specific things, which means you need to get lots of them and put lots of them together rather than using one big one. There are lots of frameworks out there, you know, things like Angular and React that, you know, are for doing the bigger stuff. But um, have, you, have you ever open source library just because of the one thing in it, like a small component? like a function or whatever, uh, but that brings like loads of things with it. So it becomes like really fat thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously use things like Lodash, right? It's a yeah. massive library of tiny functions. Yeah. It can be hard, but also just the kind of the, the learning curve of picking them up. So the, the bigger they get, the harder they are to learn. And therefore the less likely you are to want to pick it up to create something quickly because it's going to take you ages to get your head around it. I guess there is an element of, a business risk with it to some extent of using open source software and then say the um, the publisher then decides to actually put a license on it just in case you know it's something that I've seen happen before there's usually a bit of a kickback and obviously you can like you said you can change components out and switch them obviously yeah I mean they can never suddenly start charging you for something that was previously free but they could yeah basically there could be an update or it could stop being updated at which point you do need to respond but the same like we said earlier the same is true of if you do stuff yourself you know the platforms that you're running on will update and you need to respond to that so actually it's better to use some open source where the chances are someone else is going to sort it out for you um, and you're not going to have to deal with it i mean guess that I mean, is there anything else you guys want to add on this? I mean, we'll do the usual and ask what your main takeaways are when it comes to tech choices, just looking at the time as always. You don't want to take up everyone's time on a commute. But what's when it comes to tech choices, you know, Alexa, what's what would be your one main takeaway that you'd want people to get from sort of what we've said so far? Uh, well, I would say um, um, that... From a starter perspective, you should you should try to look at consistency, uh, having uh, to begin with uh, uh, less moving parts uh, and something we, we sort of mentioned a few times, a single language. If you can use it across the board, it will make your life much easier in the short and medium term when you, when you hire your team. Yeah, and from my point of view then, it's really to be that, I guess, if, if you're, the, you're the founder, you're the entrepreneur, it's your company, right? You want to be making these decisions informed decisions kind of yourself or um you know with help you don't want to just let them happen by accident or happenstance and then live with the consequences you kind of need to take a little bit of agency in it and drive it where you want thinking about you know what you want from your company rather than what the suppliers want to use for their own benefit or what the you know yeah hipster cto wants to use because it sounds cool or whatever it is you need to you need to just think about it a little bit yourself and there's there's a lot of a lot of really fluffy reasons to be honest that are more important than the the hardcore tech decisions 
Yeah, I think I'd echo sort of both sentiments really of, you know, keep it simple where you can use one tech stack purely from a, you know, getting people in who can then work on the full front and back end. And then generally, you know, you've got to strike a balance between what's new, cool and interesting. I remember when blockchain became a thing and like we mentioned AI, but remembering that there is going to be implications and costs of finding people obviously looking at more from a business perspective for me of actually doing that so yeah I think that's uh, about us I mean uh, I'd say I don't know if you've got a let off uh, next week Alexa but I know Eric's still on uh, no another week another (laughs) week but um, next week we're talking all about engineering process I might actually be able to add a little bit to that so it'll be a little bit about sort of just how teams work more from an engineering perspective than just pure agile which I think is then the week after so actually spoiled for two weeks there so thank you very much chaps for your time I know this is becoming uh, verging on routine but (laughs) I think we're we're getting better at it (laughs) slowly it was good to speak to you guys I enjoyed this good right well thank you very much chaps speak to you next week I think that just about wraps things up here if you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today Get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter at RealTSF or email at hello at startupfactory.tech or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.